Your name. 
Joining us this evening on Blog Talk Radio, this is the Ophir House. This is David Murray. I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. Dorothy, how are you doing tonight? I am doing well this evening. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm uh, I'm excited to to get into the study that we're going to be doing tonight. Um, we're actually going to be talking on uh, the last part. We'll be finishing up uh, what is for now. Um, this series, Dorothy, we've been talking about this for a few weeks now, but uh, Dorothy on, on uh, Doorways to Intimacy. Um, I had planned on speaking on something else this coming up week, but um, I just felt impressed to revisit and circle back around on trials and um, partnering with trials. And what we're going to be talking about specifically tonight is partnering with the trials that we're going through um, in order to transform ourselves greater into um, the image of Christ and move us deeper into uh, walking and abiding in the realm of the Spirit. It's going to be a fairly compact, straight-to-the-point um, study that will just help round out. We spoke back in February about trials, and we moved on to different doorways, different pathways to intimacy, and I want to end up on trials. One of the reasons why I believe that uh, that this has been impressed upon my spirit to speak on this is because this year in particular is a year of refining in the body of Christ. And um, so it makes sense. Um, The Lord really just wants us to understand what's going on in the nation, in the body of Christ and in our lives individually, as well as corporately. Um, Because it's through understanding that it's more easy for us to cooperate with what the Lord is doing. Uh, But before we get into that, I just want to go over a couple of things. Number one, um, for, for those who have been reaching out about supplemental material, I have a website, a blog, dwmurray.com. There's additional resources on there um, that you can visit. So, yes, I do have additional resources um, that, that are there. Um, second is I've had some different questions come up in regard to authority versus um, power. And what is the difference between the two? I'm actually going to be doing a study, a teaching on that um, in the not-too-distant future, um, getting the difference between the two. But, but uh, in a nutshell, I'll say right now, power, God-given power is a gift. It's, it's given to us. All of the giftings of the Holy Spirit are giftings of power. The Greek word dunamis, those, those, are, those are expressions of the power of the kingdom of God. Authority is delegated responsibility. Authority is the ability to stand under a certain place of government within the kingdom. Power advances things, um, drives things out, exercises it, releases it's an activity. Power is visible in movement. We we see uh, the power of the kingdom through demonstrations of his manifestation in all the different ways that the, that the, the gifts. Uh, the spirit described in, in the epistle and operate. Authority is the ability to stand with an amount of the presence of God moving through us. It's a, it's a degree of position in the kingdom, and that is not a gift. That is dependent upon 
uh, the depth that we allow ourselves to be transformed into his image. So uh, we're going to be talking more about that. Uh, one last thing about that, so I don't leave it too much of a cliffhanger because I know thoughts that are creeping up right now as a result of that. We're all given a degree of authority, the authority to use the name of Jesus Christ. We have authority over the enemy. The ways in which our authority, the extent, the sphere of influence, um, and the speed in which a lot of the things of the kingdom and the desires of the Father are brought to pass through us has to do with the degree of authority that we move in. So let me first say, do do any of us not have the authority if if let's say we're backslidden, we have sin in our life, we have all these other things, that means a a spirit does not have to obey us when we leave. Well, they obey the name of Jesus Christ. So we all have authority over the enemy. Anyone or the enemy or Satan specifically lie to you, try to whisper to you, you don't have enough authority to um, to take ground from the enemy. Um, or to exercise the command for the enemy to leave. That's a lie. Every one of us has that authority in the name of Jesus Christ. From there, the ability to govern the will of God on the earth with friends, family, relationships, strangers, in the kingdom and fellowship, in our daily walk, at home, grocery store, um, our, our place of employment, the gas station, how, how much of the kingdom the influence of the kingdom we have is authority. And that grows through proximity to the throne room. It grows through proximity um, to the Lord, which is, which is a byproduct of intimacy, which is everything that we're talking about. So um, I just want to throw that out there for you. Does God love us any more or less based upon how intimate we are with him? Nope, not at all. We are loved fully, deeply, and completely. Um, no matter how much we live relationally with the Lord, whether we choose to hold on to sin and rebellion and things in our life, how we relationally, how righteous or unrighteous we live has nothing to do with positionally what was accomplished through the atonement of the blood of Jesus Christ. The atonement of the cross, what was accomplished at the cross, we have salvation because we were given or clothed, or another word is imputed, to be given, granted, the gift of his righteousness. That's a positional standing. Okay, so there's no condemnation or shame. Or The more that we spend time with him, the more that we're transformed into his image, the more freely the kingdom is able to operate without having to navigate around um, the dead carnal mind and the things that, that war against God's mindset, his will, and his intentions. It's, it is not complicated, and there's no condemnation in it, and it's encouraging stuff um, because you realize it's, it's not about him loving us more. It's about us enjoying the fruits of the kingdom and, and exercising the heart and the will of our Father uh, on behalf of uh, his kingdom over, over this realm. Um, next, something really quick that I wanted to touch base on very quickly. Um, there are people that ha- have reached out to me uh, asking um, how I manage or handle uh, degrees of feeling the heart of God, the passion of God, the emotions of God. Does God have emotions? Uh, The Bible makes it very clear he has emotions. We have emotions. They're meant to be governed by our spirit. And, um, yeah, of course, uh, sometimes those things can be intense. And depending upon our, our, our call in the body of Christ, depending upon the area that we are meant to serve, we're all meant to grow up to be elders. 
scriptures make that very clear in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6. We are called to all grow into the full stature of Jesus Christ and then raise the next generation of believers to do the same. Um, there's no one called to be an elder. You have a calling on your head. You have a call to, to, to lead. Eh, that's Western mindset creeping in there. Um, the greatest leaders, according to God's kingdom, are the greatest servants, Jesus said. And, and we are called to serve. Um, so how do we handle the heart of God? Um, that, that will, the closer we get to the Lord in our relationship, the closer that we take our thoughts captive, the more that we begin pressing into the heart of the Lord, agreeing with what the Father says about himself, about us as his righteousness, as a, as a completely fully pleasing child of God positionally, um, as we begin to press into the kingdom and renew our thinking and our minds, yeah, the things that we feel in the, in the kingdom become more intense. They become more sharp. We grow in wisdom. We grow in understanding. We grow in sight and in vision. All the things of the spirit, um, we grow in all those areas. And um, the easiest way for me to encourage those people that sometimes can feel overwhelmed by that is when you're feeling something, you give it back to the Lord. And we'll get into that in another study. But what I mean is if you're feeling something, you open your heart up, your spirit to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you let that flow through you. Let it just rest with him. You pray through it. You spend time in his presence. You recognize that burden um, will be a mixture of our fallen thinking, whether it's discouragement, despair, um, um, depression, right? These are the carnal-minded areas mingling in when we, when we orient ourselves to the kingdom of God. And the more that we purify our walk with the Lord, the more we'll purely feel his grief over sin, the more purely we'll feel his joy over a reconciled um, brother or sister, the more we'll feel uh, this spiritual excitement as the kingdom is forcefully advancing. Um, but it's a process. There's times when I feel extremely heavy-hearted but, but the heaviness is not just the Lord. It's my own soul kind of lagging with some, some thinking that, um, that may not necessarily be the mind of Christ. You know, um, in, in the purest sense, funerals, really, they're a promotion for the body of Christ for believers, right? We should be excited at someone's funeral because they've gone to heaven, but we recognize we'll miss them. So we grieve that process, and part of that process is very normal, um, because really, we Adam and Eve were never created for death. There was never a blueprint given for us to how to manage the loss. So there will be times when our soul is is catching up to the mind of Christ and the heart and the will of the Lord. And so, bottom line, what I want to encourage you with is just to rest pain that you're feeling. Picture the Lord standing in front of you, perhaps, and just confess that pain before Him. Make sure you're thinking in agreement with the Word of God. That will make sure that that we're staying biblically aligned in our in our soul. That we're moving by the mind of Christ. And then what will happen is then if we're feeling any things um, that are not of His Word, then we can repent of those things. For example, Jeremiah um, complained to the Lord, and the Lord corrected Jeremiah and says, "Hey Jeremiah, if you if you've been if you've gotten weary, if you've gotten tired running with men." How will you be able to keep up with the chariots and horses? In other words, what the Lord was saying is, Jeremiah, you, you have to change your thinking here. 
You're coming to me complaining, but, but your complaint is not based upon moving by the mind and the heart and the will of, of the Holy Spirit. You're allowing circumstances to discourage you. So even the prophets, and that happened with John the Baptist as well. John the Baptist dealt with great discouragement, even asked, you know, sent his disciples to question, hey, Jesus, are you really Messiah? Are you really the one? I know that I saw you. I know the Holy Spirit descended upon you. I heard Father God uh, call down audibly from heaven. Um, but is it really you? Because I'm here stuck in this prison and things aren't panning out the way I thought. That's another example of how when we're feeling the intensity of walking by the kingdom, we have to make sure our soul is walking in alignment to his thoughts. Then if it is and we're feeling something very heavy, now we're able to more purely carry the burden of the Lord about whatever he wants to um, impart to us. Many times when I'm, I'm walking by a stranger, the Lord will just, I'll just, I'll, I'll know that person. I'll know something about that person. Uh, the Lord will speak to me on that person, sometimes about their pain, their background, their life story, their upbringing. Um, you know, and if I'm not in the right place, uh, that can sometimes be overwhelming. And I have, to, I have to repent of that. I have to see things with the heart of God. When the Lord is sharing that with me, he's not sharing that with me to upset me. He is sharing his heart so that I can partner with what the Lord wants to bring to pass. Because it's the compassion from the Lord's heart that we feel that causes us to move from his love. Everything flows from love. The areas where we are not moving in love, we are moving out of his heart. Even The Bible says even his judgment is love. It's not love on sin. It's wrath on sin. But it is love toward those people that are in bondage. And don't take my word for that. Get into the word, please. Um, camp out in the New Covenant. Camp out in the New Testament. Begin um, looking at things through the, the righteousness of Christ and understand the full picture of, um, of the fulfillment from Genesis to Revelation. Um, you know, we even see that in Jonah when, when the Lord was telling Jonah, hey, you want, you're upset because I'm turning away from my wrath. Uh, I'm a God of mercy. You know, that's old covenant. You know, so th- there's a lot to be gleaned there. So I don't want to get off on that. That's not the point. But but I've been getting a decent amount of that as people have been pressing into the Lord and the body of Christ is seeking him. Um, just uh, some questions that are that have been coming up. So I just want to touch base upon that. Hopefully that, that ministered to someone a little bit until we can do more of a study on that. The last part is that I'm going to be taking off. Dorothy and I have spoken. Um, and uh, I'm going to be taking off the month of July. Um, I had plans to, to definitely not write a book. And, um, it, you know, as it turns out, uh, I believe that is the direction the Lord is having me go in. So um, rather than just putting something in a binder form, um, I'm going to be writing a book. Um, a lot of the material will be coming from the website, but it will be formatted in a, a cohesive, systematic study um, on the righteousness of Christ, on the carnal mind, on now walking things out, I try on their website to just give examples of how I walk out my day with the Lord um, and also be very frank and recanted with my shortcomings. I am nobody's standard. Christ alone is our standard, not Peter, not Paul, not King David, uh, not John the Baptist. Jesus Christ on the earth is the perfect example of the heart of the Father. Um, but I, but I, I try to share those things on, on the website to encourage people and also to minister that it's not hard, it's not simple. Uh, excuse me, it's not difficult. It's it's a simple process of just stepping out and, and 
just having fun. And, um, you know, I carried around so much of the pain and passion of the Lord for so long that it became very easy for me to step out because <laughs> the passion just became overwhelming and I just had to let it go. I had to, I just had to begin interacting with people and praying for them because just the love and compassion I felt for them and the grief sometimes from the heart of the father made it so great that I, I just, I, I didn't have much of a choice. Um, so anyway, uh, without rambling, I'm going to be taking off in July um, to hopefully finish up uh, drafting this book and, and trusting the Lord with that. Um, so for those of you that, that have been consistently praying for me, and I appreciate that, and if anyone feels led to pray for me and for, for Maya and my family, for wisdom, for time management, um, you know, we're pretty busy. Um, um, just in in life and the community and the body of Christ and in raising a family and all these things and we're trying to do things by the heart, the, the order of the kingdom. So we can always use uh, your prayers. Um, so thank you for that in advance of the Lord Legion upon that. So, okay. Um, doorway to intimacy, uh, partnering with trials. So circling back around. The last time we spoke back in February, we talked about what is a trial what is the purpose and how do we handle it? So to recap that real quick, a trial is an event that's meant to test and expose our beliefs. Its purpose is to enter us into greater intimacy and greater realms of the glory. And how we handle it is examining our thoughts and submitting them to the word of God. What we're going to get into tonight, and it's going to be fairly straightforward, might be a little bit shorter than I'm normally used to doing a study, but it's partnering, specifically partnering with these trials to transform us. Again, anything, guys, that causes us to come to reason in a manner about any subject that is contrary to the Word of God is a test of our faith. Remember, faith, guys, just means belief. The word faith, pistos, Greek word, it means belief. So another way of saying that is faith is, by definition, our belief system. Any circumstances that come up in which our first inclination is either to think or to be tempted to think thoughts that are contrary to the word of God is a trial. Remember the end game of trials. There's been a lot of well-intended but misguided, mistaught teachings on trials. Trials are ordained by God in his love the end game of a trial is to transform us. It's meant to transform us into his image. It releases greater levels of communion with him, greater intimacy, greater of the reality of the spirit kingdom, the spirit of God, his kingdom, which is inside of us. We become more sensitive to that than to the physical realm. And Again, I want to encourage everybody, it is not meant to be difficult, and it is not by nature difficult. What makes it difficult is the, the lies, the fallen belief system that we have been taught is true. That's what makes it a challenge. But the actual walking it out is not difficult if we decide we're going to believe God's word no matter what. He will always be faithful. Um, 
yeah, Christian lingo, they would say, you know, some circles, God showed up. I don't particularly care for that because he's in us. He doesn't come and go. But, but we get what that means. You know, he'll always be faithful. He will always partner with those that are partnering with him in spirit and truth because he doesn't come and go. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't turn his back on us. It's if are we aligning ourselves with the truth of the spirit of God inside of us or are we choosing to contend and decide a course of action that's contrary. If ever that ever gets foggy, that thought, guys, go back to Genesis and look at the Garden of Eden. Look at Adam and Eve. The confrontation with Satan is exactly what we face in our walk today. It's that simple. So many times, right, we look and we say, oh, Adam and Eve, what was wrong with you guys? All you had to do is say no. You had everything. You were in the garden. You, you know, you, 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 you walked with God. All you had to do is just reject the lie. That picture is a perfect picture of how we walk out our day moment by moment with the Lord. It's the same thing. It's that simple. And when we choose to walk by that truth, despite what this fallen, the physical realm and the five physical senses will tell us, the reality of the spiritual senses, our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears, our spiritual understanding, our spiritual perception of the Holy Spirit speaking to us, the reality of the Father's heart, what his mind, his will, his intentions are at any given moment, his affection for you, his lavishing affection, that's it's a fiery furnace of his love, those become greater and greater realities that was the purpose of the cross. It was to reconcile us to unbroken intimacy. And that's a process of walking that out. So that is the purpose of trials. Trials are ordained to set us free. Even a trial that's not of God. Or most of the time we attribute too much stuff to Satan, but even if it was something that's of demonic origin, God is faithful. He's on the throne. He lives inside of you. You are surrounded by a company of the heavenly host. You have dominion and authority over everything. Uh, and that trial will still pass through the, the throne room of God, and he will use it for your deliverance and for greater intimacy if we partner with that trial. Let's go over a couple of scriptures to round this out a little bit. Hebrews 12:11 No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it uh, 1 Peter 1:6 In this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 6. James uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And guys, those are some powerful scriptures. We tend to quote them as kind of, um, you know, a little bit, you know, like a cliche sometimes when someone's struggling. There's nothing in the Word of God that's said idly or, or, or passively. You know, the Word says there are many voices in the world, and none of them are without significance. 
everything spoken and written has significance. And these three scriptures are just a powerhouse of information. When James 1, 2 says you will not lack anything, if we would just meditate on what that means, there's really no limit. What did Jesus do on the earth? What was he limited to? What level of peace, dominion, authority, and leading of the Holy Spirit did he walk in to bring to pass the will of the Father on this earth? Look at Peter. Right? The ability for him to stand up and speak the word of God with such purity that the Holy Spirit was able to convict the hearts and the spirits of those listeners so that a mass, a multitude of people came to the Lord right then and there. Um, and that theme is throughout the history of the earliest born-again Christians. They were born-again brothers and sisters. The year 2016, we are born-again brothers and sisters. In the year, what was that, uh, 33, 43, 47, maybe 50 A.D., those were born-again Christians living in the first century in Rome. We're just born-again Christians living here in the United States or abroad or wherever you're listening to this from. There's no difference. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in the church of Jesus Christ today, is in the believer. The born-again Christian is inside our spirit, man, the same spirit. So I wanted to encourage you with that. This, these passages give us some major keys to trials and how trials lead to greater intimacy. Tell us basically three things. One, number one, trials are not pleasant. Tell us right here, trials are not present. You have Peter, you have Paul, you have James saying that trials are not pleasant. I say, I say Peter, uh, Paul because I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, but the writers of Hebrews uh, and then Peter and James um, are telling us trials are not pleasant. Number two, that we are to have acceptance toward them. We're to accept them. You can't have joy without accepting a trial. If they're telling us to be joyful, be glad, you have to accept the circumstance. That is crucial. The third point is that they absolutely will transform a willing vessel. Hebrews 12:11 says that it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by the trial. Those who have not allowed the trial to train them to reshape their thinking, that have not accepted the invitation to press into the things that will not be trained by that trial, it will not produce the fruit of righteousness and peace. A trial, we we said that you know when you get through a trial you come out stronger. That's not necessarily true. I'll qualify that. When we go through a trial, a difficult situation that causes our belief system to come to question what we're believing, is it faith in the kingdom of God, in his written word, in his nature? Is it faith in that, or is it faith coming from fallen thinking? Right? Lies and, um, and truth are both grounded in the same root. It's faith. It is the belief that something not yet happened will happen, or something that hasn't taken place will take place, or that there is something true about God, myself, or others that either is true or isn't true, but I'm accepting it as truth. So truth, God's word and lies are rooted in the same thing, faith. 
It's a belief in something. And so that's what we have to take to the cross. If we do not, if we do not do that, when we come out on the other end of a trial, we usually will be worse off than we were before the trial. Because if we're not turning to the Lord, we're turning to our own strength, which is the soul. And we're not meant to live by the soul. The soul is meant to be submitted to the spirit of God and be transformed to walking by the mind of Christ, by the heart, mind, will, and emotions of the spirit of God inside our spirit man. If we do not yield our soul and take every thought captive and move by the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ and his written word and his spoken word, which will never violate the written word, if we do not do that, we get through a trial by our own self-will, our own determination, our own strengths, our own giftings, our own abilities to manipulate, control, self-preserve, whatever. When we come out of that trial, because every trial ends, because it's, it's a handcrafted situation that is designed to refine us. It's a period of testing, the scriptures say. When we go through a period of testing and come out on the other end of that, we have either let all the dross fall away and we become a pure piece of gold in his kingdom, or we do the opposite, bury that gold, and we, we strengthen, we galvanize, we harden the self-preservation mechanisms of this fallen belief system. So it's, it's one or the other. I've tragically met and know many, many, many dear beloved brothers and sisters that I love literally as my, as, as my own family that I've watched go through trials for 10, 15, 20, some longer since I'm a little kid, and they just continue to get harder and harder because they won't yield to the Lord. They won't allow the, those lies. It's too scary for many of us to let go of the lie and dare to believe God. He will never forsake us. He will never leave us. He will never leave us to the devices of the enemy, ever, ever. So, so please, one thing to encourage you is just become a willing vessel. So how do we ensure they transform us? And this is our main point. It's knowledge and acceptance to his word and his nature. That's how we allow trials to transform us is that we come to acknowledge and accept that his word and his nature are true. That the word of God is true, and through the word of God, we begin to understand his nature. If the word of God says God is love, but I want to stubbornly choose to believe that, well, yeah, but you know what? Love is this, where love is conditional, or he's, sometimes he's wrathful on his children. We need to get into the word of God, put aside our own agendas, and begin studying the word of God without preconceived ideas and let the Holy Spirit teach us and redefine our theology. Um, we, you know, we came to the cross filthy. We came with nothing to give him but our will. There wasn't a thing we could do to say, here, Lord, in exchange for the gift of salvation, I'll give you this. Don't you want this of me? Now, the cross is because he wants our heart. He wants all of us. 
So there's nothing that we came to to barter with him at the cross. It was a gift of love. Everything in Scripture is centered around the cross. That is the good news, the gospel. That is the fulfillment of everything since Genesis. When Jesus comes back to reign, it's perfect fellowship. Everything is centered around Jesus reconciled us to himself. Every doctrine, every theology, every thinking, every belief system must come to the foot of the cross. If in anything we look at is inconsistent with the love of God that sent his son to die for a bunch of filthy sinners, then we have to begin changing our theology and saying, having the courage to say, Lord, I've chosen to believe a lie about you, and I'm stubbornly contending with your word. I repent of it. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for the courage and the strength and the grace to have me yield to your truth. There are many words going forth in this hour about what's on the Lord's heart, what's on his mind, and, and, and there's a lot of truth in them. But to the degree we do not live the love of the cross inside of us, to the degree we do not walk in the revelation of that love, is to the degree that every scripture will be skewed and have a mixture. Mixture is not just about theology in the sense of what we preach. Mixture is in our heart, and it has to do with whether or not we understand or seek to understand the depth of his unconditional love toward his children, not toward sin, toward the child of God, Everything must flow through that. Or we're just going to spin our wheels. Um, man, that's just what the body of Christ needs in this hour is a, is a revelation of righteousness. It's not to excuse sin. It's to make the distinction. He, sin is a violation of his nature, which is why he came to destroy it. That is why even death, the fulfillment of sin, the scriptures say, is death. When sin runs its full course, it produces death. The scriptures say that death has been swallowed up in life, in the cross. He came to destroy the works of, of Satan, of death, so that we can be reconciled to him. He doesn't love our sin. He loves you unconditionally. So as the church needs to stop thinking, we couldn't bring anything to the cross, but now that after we've received the gift of righteousness, now we can somehow add to that. We, we can't. We can't. He wants our hearts. And he doesn't want our hearts so that he can love us more. He already loved us fully while we were sinners. He can't love us more. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. And that's the heart behind a trial. Trials are meant to set us free, to shake us loose, and to shake us free to walk as the spirit beings that we are with a mind, a will, and emotions that are being governed by our spirit man, which is being governed by the spirit of God in us, the Holy Spirit. So, and guys, let me say, I don't have it all figured out. You know, some people say, Dave, why don't you teach on, on this or teach on that? Some of them is really because I, I have no interest. I don't see how it benefits the body of Christ in, in growing in our relationship with the Lord. There's some things that just I, I scratch my head. I don't know why the body of Christ argues so much about it. 
really the reality is because to the degree that we don't know how much we're loved and are pursuing the fierceness of that love, uh, we find other things to pick up to pass our worth or our time. Um, but then aside, there are other things where, you know, I just, I don't feel I'm qualified to teach on them. I don't feel that I know enough about them to really say, let me share. Uh, you know, it's, I, I just don't feel that way. And I'm a work in action and it's not about getting everything, guys. It's not what it's about. It's about hearts that accept righteousness, accept that he loves us unconditionally, that we cannot add to our worth. That is the foundation of the cross. Then we're free to to move out from there and enjoy growing and learning him in all things. There are things that he is walking through me now that are grounded in the word where 10 years ago, I would have looked and said, that's, you know, that David Murray there is a heretic. At least I think he is. Where's he getting the basis for that? As we grow in him, he just walks things out with us. He'll never violate his word. He'll never violate his word. And everything is grounded in love. Even judgment upon sin is love for his children, is love for his creation. We must understand that the wrath and the bowls of wrath that are talked about in Revelation, the wrath upon sin is still love upon his creation. And that's something we have to walk out between, you know, ourselves and the Lord. Somehow we're going to have to reconcile the earth walk of Jesus saying he came to show us the Father and the forgiveness and the love and the demonstration of the kingdom he showed, we're going to have to somehow, we've, we've made the error of trying to cram the Gospels, cram the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ into the epistles, into Daniel and Revelation. No, 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 that's a violation of Scripture. It's a violation of proper biblical interpretation. Everything must submit to the nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus came in the flesh to show us what is unseen, the Bible says, that through walking in that truth and being reconciled by the Holy Spirit now living in us so that we can commune in the realm of the Spirit, that we are one with him. So acceptance cannot come until we first accept his loving hand is over us in every situation. And specifically, guys, here's where it's important, quote-unquote, this situation. This means accepting our circumstances. We confess his truth about himself, about ourselves, and about others. And here's something I've been asked about. You know, people say, you know, David, why is it so important to to accept what the Word of God says about, you know, himself? I get that. And myself, yes, I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm complete. I'm, I'm worthy. But why others? Well, because if we are looking at others outside of his heart toward them and how he sees them, we come out of alignment with his heart. And what will happen is instead of, instead of seeing the people in our lives that God is using sovereignly in a trial, we will begin focusing our attention on where we're being wronged. And here's the thing, guys. In trials, a lot of times we are being wronged. And if we focus on self-preservation, on being vindicated, on being justified, number one, we're completely missed the mark. Um, we're the righteous of Christ, so we have no business getting offended if someone mistreats us. 
I'm not saying to be a, a, a doormat. Uh, that's a different subject. I'm not talking about that. But to get offended if someone doesn't respect me, to, to be insulted, really what I'm saying is that you have, you, I have allowed you to take away my sense of because of what you think. There's no way around that, guys. That's the reality. If we're offended, if we're angry, if we're hurt um, about someone else's conduct of us, um, we are walking by the dead man. We are not walking in our identity. We have rejected uh, our Heavenly Father's thoughts toward us and have instead picked up the thoughts of his other creation as our source of worth. And so that's why it's so important to forgive people and to guard our mind when others mistreat us through a trial, because they will. They're hand-forged by the Lord in his sovereignty, using people's free will and using everyone around them to drive us into the throne room. We're not victims. We're his, we're his children that in his fierce love will get the garbage out of us so that we can walk in greater realms of his glory and intimacy. Okay, so we must accept people and see them the way Father God sees them. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Proverbs 3.6, in all your ways acknowledge him. These are talking about... Um, this is talking about acknowledging the Lord, acknowledging the word of God above all things. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Proverbs 3, 6. These are examples that scriptures tell us what to do. What I'd like to do is give you examples of, of these scriptures, these principles of the kingdom in action. Job 2, 10 says, he replied, Job, this is, everyone knows the story of Job, right? We relate to Job. Um, he says, you are talking like a foot. Now, this is an amazing story. Uh, amazing story. Job, within probably no more than 120 seconds, if you were to play this out with a bunch of people, uh, a bunch of friends, and read through, um, read through the story of Job, the account of Job, and he had his servants, one after another, after another, after another, all give him news. It says while they were still speaking, the other came. While the other was just finishing, the other came. So within, I'd say, less than two minutes, you have Job getting a report that everything he knew Everything he loved and held dear, his source of everything was destroyed, was destroyed. And his wife tells him, basically, you know, why don't you just curse God, you know, if you, if you, if you go into reading on that. Um, and his response is, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. This is acceptance of something that was beyond his understanding. His heart was submitted to the Lord, even though he didn't understand what was going on. That doesn't mean we lay down and say, oh, come welcome me. I want misery. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having an, a heart that is always open and yielded to the Lord, never bitter, never closed off. One of the first things we begin doing at a certain point in the trial, we start with the word of God and we begin getting offended our hope, our confident expectation begins to fade. It begins to stretch our beliefs. We begin to stretch what we really believe about the Lord, and the garbage comes to the surface. That's why it's called a trial, guys. It's not a trial until it's actually tested and begins to shake free the fallen thinking, the garbage. Um, 
Luke twenty two forty two. Father, if you were willing, take this cup from me. This is Jesus in the garden. Yet not my will, but yours be done. This is an example of acceptance. He accepted and yielded to the will of the Father. Philippians 1.14. And because of my chains, this is Paul speaking, in prison, sending a letter, right? Letters were called epistles, a letter to the other members of the body of Christ in uh, Philippi. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare to all the more proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul had acceptance and a degree of joy there. Philippians, in the midst of prison, if you read that, it's one of the most joyful epistles in the Bible. Great, great study. Paul talks so much about the joy of the Lord and the undercurrent of that epistle is one of joy while he's in prison. They're a great book. Job 121. Immediately, now even before his wife got to say anything, immediately when Job got this report, it says he tore his robes. He was overcome with grief and sorrow. And his words out of his mouth was, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's an example of acknowledgement, acceptance. Now, let me stay here. His statement was erroneous. Right? The Bible's progressive revelation is a great example of context, right, guys? Um, the Lord tells us, you know, this, the epistles say that every good thing comes down from the Father of Father of lights, in whom there is no variance nor shadow of turning. Every good thing. The Lord does not give and take away. Okay, we've created a doctrine based upon the, 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 the statement of someone in abject grief at the loss of everything he had. Nowhere does that, is that supported in Scripture in the New Testament. Anywhere. It is, a, it is, it is a truly recorded statement. It is not a statement of truth. Everything in the Bible is truly recorded. Not everything is a record of truth. Job's statement was an unbiblical statement, confession, proclamation about the nature and character of the Lord. So, so we toss that out. The, the focus of that statement is not on his erroneous theology of God. Right? They, they speculate when Job was around, but he was, he, was, he was around well before Christ. Some say, uh, you know, after Moses, some say um, during the patriarchs. But, but Job was around before the revelation of Jesus Christ. It wasn't about his statement. It was about the condition of his heart. The condition of his heart was acknowledgement of the Lord and acceptance. Um, 2 Samuel 16.11 David is just the background here. David got word that his own son um, formed a rebellion right underneath him. His son is marching on Jerusalem. David being the man that he is, the servant that he is, with all his mistakes that he's made, and he made, he made plenty, but, but he had a servant's heart. And because of that, he did not want to go out to battle against his son in Jerusalem because he was afraid there was going to be a slaughter. So he took everyone with him. Everyone loyal, anyone that, Ab, that his son um, um, Absalom thought would, would kill because they know, hey, you're a friend of my father's. He, the whole entourage and all his private guard left Jerusalem. And while they're leaving Jerusalem, a man goes out and begins pelting them with rocks and stones. He was faithful. This is a man who was faithful to, to the house of King Saul, right, whom David, you know, 
um, became king after Saul. So this man didn't like David. He's throwing rocks at him. And Abishai, uh, David's nephew, he says to David, hey, you know, let me, let me go strike this guy down. You know, he's throwing rocks at the king. Well, you, David, just give me the word. Let me go, just, just go kill this guy right now. And David's response is just such a wonderful response of, of just acceptance and acknowledgement. It just always brings me to tears. And David said to Abishai and all the officials, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjaminite? Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. Again, it's the heart of David that to be gleaned from there. He accepted the situation. His heart was tender and open to the Lord. Acceptance and acknowledgement, acknowledging the Lord in everything that's going on. What this does, guys, and here's the main theme we're, we're talking about, acknowledgement and acceptance. It leads to greater vision and revelation of his nature and his kingdom. Here's how it does that. Number one, through acknowledging, acknowledging and acceptance before the Lord, it means to agree with his word. What do we mean by that? Well, because in his word, if I'm going through a difficult situation and I may say, Man, God, God, God just, he just hates me. God just must be, he must be so disappointed with me. Um, or, you know, God's just repaying me for, for um, you know, not, not going back inside the store when I knew they didn't charge me for this, for this product, you know, or, or anything like that. Any confession or thought that is not contrary to what his, his written word says about his nature um, we, we have to bring that to the cross. So it means in everything we're going through in the trial, we must stay steadfast to the word of God, to his nature. To play. He says he has plans to bless you and prosper you. There were times when I quoted that scripture for a long time. <laughs> uh, I quoted that a long time. I'm not talking weeks. I'm talking years. Because I couldn't say anything else. I knew if I spoke anything else when I was in my grief, I would speak a word that was contrary to the word of God. And I didn't want to compromise or fall short in that trial. So there were times when people were looking at me, just like Job's wife, and they would incite me. They would incite me to self-pity. They would try to stir me up toward anger and hatred. And these are Christians. They would try to get anything to get my confession and get my eyes off the Lord. Because, of, number one, guys, if you're going through something and people usually can perceive many times when you dig into the Lord, you will make everyone around you uncomfortable. That's just a fact, guys. A little side note here. When you decide to commit your life to the Lord without compromise, you will make everyone around you uncomfortable. And I'm not talking about the lost. The lost will love you because they will feel the presence of the kingdom of God around you. They won't know what it is. The lost will love you. It is the church that will hate you. And I don't say those words lightly. There is an awful lot of hatred in the body of Christ, and it stems from jealousy. The people that are not willing to count the cost will always try to discourage and disrupt the plans of God on a child of God answering him or her. Always. 
So when you feel yourself, I mean, if you need to separate from what I call Job's friends, if you need to separate from them, you go ahead and you, and you do it in love. You do whatever you need to do, your heart, your mind, your confession, your beliefs in your heart, yield it to the word of God about his nature and what he says about you and what he says about that person that's also trying to discourage you. That's the key to being transformed into realms of the glory. Guys, it's not, there's bookshelves loaded, loaded with walking in the glory, walking in the realm, walking in the spirit. They become such cliches because the body of Christ has stopped being taught there's a cost. You know, one of the things that that I personally have a problem with, and maybe it's my own immaturity, I'll be very open and very vulnerable, I always try to be very open. I have a problem when you're in a church gathering and you'll have someone give an altar call And they'll say, I want everybody to close their eyes, and they'll play some really nice, soft, soulish music. And they'll say, with every eye closed, I want everyone here to say the Lord's Prayer and confess together. And we do everything we can to prevent that person who's a sinner from feeling uncomfortable. And I think when, when Jesus hung on that cross... Did he ask everybody, hey, guys, I'm really feeling embarrassed and ashamed here. I'm, 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 I'm suffering. I'm in agony. I've been skinned alive. I got my raw skin down to the bone, chafing against this piece of wood on my back. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty much naked here. got a cloth dangling over my private parts. Could you please look away? Could you please just not look at me? So here's my thinking. If someone's not ready to accept Christ into their heart without it being so comfortable and easy, what was sown is not yet ready to be reaped. It is the Holy Spirit that reaps, not an organist playing a real soft piece of music. And I understand I'm stepping on toes, and it's not my heart's desire. If you play the organ at a church fellowship, I'm not saying (laughs) anything about you. It's about what we do, what we do, guys, in church fellowship toward the lost. What starts in the spirit cannot end in the flesh, and you can't mingle the two. It just doesn't work. When someone is appreciative and understands their spiritual condition, they need a savior, you can't keep them from tearing forward and accepting Christ in tears. And if they're not, we've got to look at are we really doing them a disservice or a service? Because the times are coming when those people that haven't counted the cost and can't appreciate or recognize the depravity and the hell that they've been rescued from, when the persecution that we have yet to experience in this nation really starts to come upon this nation, and it is coming, brothers and sisters. It is coming. And we will join with all the other brothers and sisters around the world, not only in this generation, but in every generation since the the time of the apostles. From the stoning of Stephen to this present day and age where Christians are being burned alive as we speak and being tortured for Christ, the United States shall finally have the honor of joining with their brothers and sisters. And if we bring people to Christ without them fully being 
aware of what God is saving them from in his love. The Bible talks about there's going to be a great falling away, and the hearts of many will grow cold. The only people that have love, the agape love, are born-again Christians. The scripture verse is talking about the body of Christ, guys. And my thinking is it can happen everywhere else, even though I don't want it to, but it won't happen to the people that I share the Lord's heart with as best as I can prepare them. Heart is not judgment. It's to save as many as, as we can. And so, without getting too much on the sidetrack, just to us examine why we do some of the things we do. Anyway, we'll get off that tangent anymore. Don't be so quick to try to make something easy for someone to accept Christ. There's a cost. And there's a cost in the body of Christ. Going through trials, there's a cost. We want realms of the glory, there's a cost. And very few of those books will discuss that cost because they're not popular. They're, they're just not pleasant because... The United States forgot what it's like but to cost something. And, you know, on the eve of Independence Day, we have lost sight of the cost of the gospel, of the, of the cost for freedom. I was going to write something about this forth on the blog. I, I just couldn't. It, just, it hurt too much. I may just wind up reposting what I did from last year. We need to return to the heart of the Father. Return to our first love in all things. And when we do that, we'll begin to embrace trials. Embrace the pain of the trial and the cross. Because Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's the sin and the fallen beliefs and the fear and the bondage and the pain of this world that we carry. That's the heavy burden. That's what he's setting us free from. Trial set us free from the burden of the fallen man, the burden of our darkened thinking, the burden of the lies we carry around. Let me, let's recap that because we're just about finishing up. Greater vision and revelation of his nature and kingdom is what takes place when we accept and acknowledge the trials. This is how it works. We acknowledge and accept the Lord. It means to agree with his word in all things. Now that we're doing that, now what we're doing is we're walking by the mind of Christ. When we're walking by the mind of Christ, this begins the transformation process. This is the crux of Romans 12, too. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of our minds is what brings us into transformation. But what happens when we're transformed? Second half of that verse. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many times do we say, well, you know, we just don't understand God. We don't understand what's going on. It's because our minds have not been transformed into the mind of Christ. It's inside of us, but we must partner with it. The renewing of our minds is what sharpens amongst many things. It opens up the kingdom to us. It's the reality of the kingdom. Uh, the renewing of our minds that allows us to understand the will of God. It's what transforms us. Now, here's, here's the crux of all of this, guys, a major point, okay? 
When we're in a trial, we must get our eyes off of the trial and on the truth of his nature. The purpose of a trial, remember, a trial is anything that causes our beliefs to come to the surface that are contrary to the word of God and the nature of God in regard to him, ourselves, and others. Once the trial has come to the surface, it has, it has, it has um, satisfied its purpose. Now we get our eyes on the Lord. Now we're beginning to take our thoughts captive. Okay, this thing popped up. What was my response? What was my immediate initial thought, feeling, emotion? Okay, Lord, we got work. Here, let me acknowledge you in all my ways. Let me take those thoughts and conform them to the mind of Christ. I reject that dead carnal man in those lives. Romans 8, 7 says, I've been, I, I, we have died to it. Those things cannot be conformed. We, 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 we bury them. We don't conform the carnal mind. We've been given a new mind. We've been given the spirit of God speaking to our spirit that knows his mind, his will, and his thoughts. That's what we're to live by. Our soul is meant to live by the life of God in us. The transformation process is moving from relating to things according to the principles of this world and beginning to live from a perspective that comes from his living throne. That's the fullness of Romans 12, too. I'll say that again. The transformation process is moving from relating to things according to the principles of this world and beginning to live from the perspective that comes from his throne room. It's the attitude of our heart yielded to him and him alone that increases our vision, that increases our ability to walk and interact with the realm of the kingdom. Here's another important part. We must accept it according to the word of God. To the degree that we're arguing or in self-pity or self-hatred or any thought that's contrary to his word, we're not in true acceptance of that trial or that situation. We're not. If we're beginning to feel pity, that's a marker, that's an earmark, that's a warning sign, it's a flare. We need to begin examining our thoughts about God and about ourselves, and we need to bring them to the foot of the cross. 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive. So that's the main part about this. Um, you know what, I'll finish up with two examples. Two examples. The first one is in 1 Samuel 15.1. Saul was being tested by the Lord. Remember, the purpose of a trial is to test us to get to deeper intimacy and walk in greater communion. Saul was given a mandate. He was given, if you read that, I won't get into it, but Saul was given specific instructions by the Lord through the prophet, right? Remember back then, we didn't all have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And uh, even, even though kings did, Paul was given a word by the Holy Spirit through another member in the body. In this case, it was the prophet Samuel. He was told to stay steadfast. Wait for me, Saul. Wait for me to offer the sacrifice. Then you will go out to, uh, to war. And um, Saul refused. There's a couple of situations that took place. One, he didn't wait for the sacrifice. The second is that he didn't obey the Lord and slaughter all the animals that he was supposed to slaughter. And it was fear of rejection that got him off on that. He, what Saul did, if you read that in, in 1 Samuel 15, it's a, a great example of how Saul refused to take his fears captive. He refused to submit his soul to the truth of God's word, that God is loving, he's steadfast. And we think, well, what could they have done in the Old Testament? Well, 
when King Saul is on the earth, right, he could have drawn upon Deuteronomy, the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. If Saul did that, he wouldn't have feared the men. See, the men wanted, he says later on when he finally owns up to it, he tells uh, Samuel, he first tries to defend himself, and then he tells Samuel, you're right, I sinned. I was afraid of the men, meaning, hey, the men would have thought X, Y, and Z about me. Who knows what they would have done? Maybe they would have dethroned me. Maybe they would have said, I'm unfit to be a king. Whatever it was, the fear, the faith in the, in the outcome, the perceived faith in Saul's belief system was so great, he feared the men, what they might do so great, it caused him to reject Deuteronomy 6.5. He did not love the Lord with all his heart, soul, might, and strength above all things. He sought instead to turn worth and significance from his, from his, his soldiers. And it cost him the kingdom. It cost him a great lot more deal than that. But at the very least, it cost him the kingdom. Uh, the second one that he could have drawn upon is Exodus 16.4. Then the Lord said to Moses, now, now Saul had access to the, the Torah. He had access to the law of Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. That was a perfect parallel to what Saul had, had gone through already, waiting for Samuel to come to offer the sacrifice. He was afraid to wait. The men were deserting in droves. Study the life of King Saul. I have such compassion for that man and, and for the body of Christ. Because I see so much of that in myself. You know, I see so much of uh, the fear that would grip us if we allow it. You know, but praise God, we don't have that. We have the spirit, the living God inside of us now. We are not those that shrink back and are afraid. So Saul had every opportunity to dig into the word, and he, he chose not to. He didn't allow that trial to galvanize his walk. That was the intent. That was the purpose of that trial that the Lord tested him to see if he would allow Saul's fears, his insecurities. If you read, study the life of, of King Saul, from day one, he was an insecure, self-conscious person who was ordained by God to become king. God was testing him. He was allowing him to go through trials to galvanize him, to stand under the spiritual authority of that calling. Saul had all the equipment he needed. If you study the life of Saul, we don't have time to get into it. It's a remarkable study. Study Saul, David, Solomon, and Absalom. Unbelievable studies that we can apply in our walk. Saul had everything he needed. He would not yield to the trials. And because of that, the trials were never able to produce the life and the intimacy they were meant to, and it cost Saul. It ruined his life. Now, now us, I'm saying we don't want going to ruin our lives. I'm not talking about that. God is always faithful. He'll always give us more chances. Um, but, but, but the consequences, because King Saul never repented. He never turned back consistently before the Lord. David committed adultery and murder. But David always would repent. Saul just, uh, he just couldn't keep his heart steadfast before the Lord. And... Lord loves us no more than he loves that man. That's what we have to get inside of us. We have to understand God's not wrathful at his children. God loved King Saul. And that grieved him dearly. Anyway. Okay. 
Paul speaking, we'll end it up with this, guys. Paul speaking uh, here to the church in Rome, believers assembled at Rome. He's speaking about the context of Romans 1 is those who knew God, were aware of God, and rejected him. It says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's the process of what happens. That doesn't mean God's love or his righteousness ever leaves us. Please, um, I encourage you with all my heart, we must read everything through the new covenant mindset. We have been given the righteousness of Christ. Right? We're fully pleasing. But we can choose to walk in darkened thinking, which is any way that we're choosing to relate to God, ourselves, and others, outside, apart, in opposition to the word of God. Our thinking will become futile, and our hearts, meaning our soul, the word heart there means it's Greek, it means labet, it means your soul, your spirit, your, your, your heart, your will, your emotions. There's many of us in the body of Christ that are walking with our hearts darkened. Because the scriptures tell us anywhere we are not walking by the word of God, we're in darkness. So contending with God will always diminish our trust. It will always diminish our belief systems in seemingly unrelated areas of our walk. And it will absolutely diminish our kingdom vision. We begin to atrophy in our ability to perceive the kingdom and flow in his spirit. We do this to the degree, to the degree that we do this, is that the flow of the life that's inside of us is hindered from flowing out through us. Philippians 1.9 says, Paul speaking again, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. There are so there is so much about righteousness, about our identity, about the, the summation of the cross, what the cross did to us. That it's the greatest revelation in this hour, I believe, with all my being that the church needs a revelation of. Everything flows from understanding who we are as a child of God. The ability to walk a sinless life comes not from our own strength. It comes from a revelation of the righteousness of Jesus Christ imparted to us. The scriptures say it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It is his goodness. So how do we sum this up? How do we ensure that trials would transform us? One, we remain steadfast to his word. We do this by acknowledgement and acceptance of his word and what his word says about himself yourself, and others. And then two, we get our eyes off the events of the trial and instead meditating on the truths that are being challenged. Right? The enemy will always try to get us to look at the offense. He will always try to get us to pick up the carnal-minded man that we die to. That is his goal, to get offended again and again and again. I, I, there's some people that I, I you know, um, that I'm in their lives and, and the theme is always the same. They're always struggling with the offense of someone else. And it's a choice of the heart, of the will, to say, I will not submit to the word of God. I will choose to create a worth and identity 
that's based upon making sure others respect me. There's no life in that. It's death. It's death. And it's overrated death of that, I might say. It's just overrated. Walking around angry and upset and not perceiving very well the kingdom of God or even if we do hear and move in some things, it's just a shadow of the things to come for the fullness of Jesus Christ as he reveals himself. Um, So anyway, trials are designed to do two things. Please remember this in closing. Trials bring to the surface our false beliefs and they bring us to the limit of our faith in God. That's meant to be strengthened. It's meant to be pressed. It's meant to be pushed forward. Second, is that if we partner with them, like we described, like we talked about, it leads to greater vision and revelation of his nature and his kingdom. And the heart of that isn't so that we can then begin rejecting our righteousness in Christ and begin thinking we're special by our gifts or our callings. That's just to go right back into the carnal-minded man. We begin rejecting the righteousness of Christ, his identity for us, and now we begin picking up giftings and our and our experiences and we begin thinking we're special because of those it always goes back to the cross brothers and sisters we're complete in him the end we can't become more special and we can't be less special in his eyes so the the purpose of greater vision and revelation is because as we're transformed more and more into his image it, that's the natural byproduct if, if 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 i have a friend great i have a friend of mine a brother in the Lord who who bought a mansion, literally the mansion, a huge house, and um, and the first couple of times that that I was over the house, um, I went from the, the main foyer and to maybe the kitchen, and we would talk and hang out there and have coffee. And as time went on, he began showing me the other rooms of the house. I began experiencing some of the joy of of enjoying these different aspects of the house. And it was a beautiful home. But it was only until we walked them out together that I got to experience them. It's the same way with the kingdom. He wants us to be transformed into his image because it opens up his kingdom to us, which is where his intimate and joy and fellowship is. It's about relationship. It's about intimacy. He died to restore to us intimacy so that concludes the section of the study, the teachings the last couple of months on doorways to intimacy and tonight on trials, revisiting that. So um, Dorothy, before, before we uh, close out, was there any, uh, any questions or any hands raised in the chat room or anything like that? Not at this point. No one's asked okay. any questions. Okay. Well, I, I, a lot of times I'll get them after the fact, so that, and that's fine too. But I always want to welcome, if anyone ever wants to call in, even people that want to call in but they, they don't for whatever reason, um, call in anytime, please, I welcome them. I love the interaction with the body of Christ, whether they're friends or strangers. So I welcome that. Um, well, if there is nothing else, um, Dorothy, just to reiterate to everybody, I'm, I'm going to be off for July. If you guys can keep keep me in prayer um, during this time and the help that I'm getting in in putting this book together and getting this book published and editing it. It's, it's quite an undertaking and I'm blessed um, with, um, with, with someone that the Lord has touched to, um, to serve and, and help and help do this. It's a tremendous blessing. It's a huge undertaking. 
I had no intention of writing a book. I mean, ever. Those of you who know me, oh my gosh, that's just comical. Um, so anyway, that will be July, and um, I could use the prayers and the support, and we will start back up um, in August with um, a bunch of things we want to begin getting into, all different topics, power and authority, um, what true biblical eldership is like, what does community life look like, what do the gifts of the Spirit look like, what are the callings, what's our place in the body of Christ. What's on the Lord's heart is for as we continue to dig into understanding our identity is to begin agreeing with, with the giftings and the call that he's placed inside every single member in the body of Christ. And we were called before the foundations of the world. We don't get a calling when we accept Christ. Some schools of thought teach that. Um, we get into that. Um, he, he knew us before we were formed. Um, we, there's a call in our life um, from before the foundations of the world, and we can only begin to step into it when we first accept him as Savior. And then after that, we have to understand our identity is in him alone because from that position that saying our, our worth cannot be added to or taken away from, only then can we begin to enjoy embracing the different ways that we're called in the body of Christ. Um, a lot of the confusion and nonsense that we see in the body of Christ is simply people that have legitimate ways that they're called to serve and function the body, but they use it to feed their own self-worth, their own identity. They're just broken vessels that don't know the love of the Father um, to the degree that we can stop trying to glean our worth from our giftings or our callings or our areas of service. Um, and that, that's coming to an end in this generation. There's, there's a body that is being raised up that will embrace his truth without compromise. And, um, and they'll be able to enjoy the life in the body when we're meant to interact in these times that are coming. So, um, Dorothy, thank you. I'll be in touch with you throughout this month, giving you status reports and, and, uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch as always. And, um, for those of you again, um, com. A lot of these resources are on there with different links. And um, keep me in prayer about um, finishing this on a timely course, please. And God bless all of you. Love all of you. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in approximately 30 days. So God bless you all. Have a very safe and blessed fourth. And um, remember what this country was founded upon. And God bless you all. And I'll talk to you soon. Dorothy, have a wonderful night. Have a good weekend. And I'll speak with you soon. You as well. Father bless. Thanks, Dorothy. Father bless you. Bye-bye, everyone.